morning. If you would, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4. That will be where we're focusing our attention for a few minutes this morning, 1 John 4, and then some other parts of 1 John will be uh, looking around in this letter uh, for our time this morning. It's good to see you. We have visitors with us. Thank you for being here. We want you to feel welcome. Appreciate you coming to be with us and taking time out of your schedule uh, to study God's Word, to worship God with us. We're glad that you're here. I want to say about uh, Brent. Brent is uh, preaching today in Cabot, and so that's where he and Leah are this morning and will be this evening as well. Uh, so be thinking about them and praying for them as they are there preaching. First uh, John 4 and verse 17 is where I want to begin. It says, First John 4, 17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In verse 17, John mentions that he wants us to have confidence for the day of judgment. The New Testament teaches us that we don't know when Jesus comes back. That could happen at any moment. It could happen today. It could happen before this service ends. We don't know when. So the idea is that we are ready at all times, and he says confident for that day, so that when that day comes, the expectation of it is not one of fear, but is instead one of confidence. I'm ready for that. Don't you want that? Don't you want to know? Yes, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I know that if this were to happen right now, I know how I would be found right with him, ready for him. And so John says, I want you to have confidence. And in fact, much much of this letter is written to give confidence. That's one of the key words when you study 1 John. But in verse 18, he says, one of the problems is the fear that naturally comes with the idea of facing God. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So when love has been perfected, he says, and we're going to explore what that means, we are not afraid anymore. We are confident instead. And so I just want to ask the question, how do we get there to a point where we say, yes, I am confident because my fear has been cast out. My love has been perfected. So we're going to talk about how perfect love casts out fear for a few minutes this morning and the nagging doubts and insecurities that we may have. If we have anxieties about this, which I think from time to time we all do, this addresses that. This text will help us if we, from time to time, say, you know, today, I don't know how I would feel if Jesus were to come back. Yesterday, I felt pretty good. Today, I feel pretty bad. And we all have these times in our lives where we ebb and flow spiritually. John is here to say there is something deeper and bigger that can give you confidence and that will cast out the fear. And that is when love is perfected in you. So I want to take this. What what we're going to do this morning is a little bit odd And I'll confess that up front uh, because I don't just want to dig into the text here right now. What I want to do is take you to some other places in 1 John so we can kind of get into how John thinks and how he is writing in this letter. And as we go through that process, I think we'll begin to think on his wavelength and then we'll be ready to come back to this text and explore the idea of perfect love casting out fear. The first thing I want to show you from 1 John is that salvation is a transformative process. Now, transformative is important here, and process is important. Transformative means that there is something more to being saved than a one-time transaction. So I felt bad about my sin, 
and I put my faith in Jesus and I was baptized. Okay, that, that's not the end. That's the beginning. And what continues after that is transformation of character. I become a different person. And the idea of process means that salvation doesn't just happen that one time. Instead, it is ongoing and unfolding. We are being saved. And I want to show you a couple of ways John does that. He talks about being transformed or remade or born again in this letter. Go with me over to 1 John chapter 1. Sometimes he describes that as a walk. That where we once walked in a certain way, now we walk in a different way. Which is a very common metaphor for the Christian life in the New Testament. 1 John 1 and verse 6 says, well let's start in verse 5. Verse 5, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he uses the picture of walking. In verse 6, we walk in darkness. In verse 7, we walk in light. So we used to walk in darkness, but since we have come to know the God who is light, now we walk in light. So what does walk mean? Walk is more than just a one-time action. Walk speaks to a direction, a pattern of life. We walk in a certain way, not one time, not occasionally, but regularly, consistently, persistently. It also doesn't mean, and in fact, verse 7 would imply this by the reference to sin, and all around this text is the idea that sometimes Christians are going to sin, but walk, what is your walk? What's the general direction of your life? Is sin the general direction, or are you walking in light? In chapter 2 and verse 1, 1 John 2 and verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Notice, he is expecting that since we have been saved, we're now going to pursue not sinning. That's verse 1. I write these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, sometimes we will mess up. And so he says we have an advocate and we still have opportunity and hope despite that. But there is still the expectation that we're going to try to live sin-free. Down in verse 6 of 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him, speaking of Jesus here, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That we pattern our lives after him and we walk, we live like him. And so we sing about Jesus and the way Jesus lived. We sing, oh, to be like thee. We say, there is a transformation we know that needs to take place. We see Jesus' character and then we look at ourselves and we see our character. And we see the great gulf between the two. Salvation is the process by which God remakes us after the character of Jesus, produces the fruits of the Spirit in us. So walking is not about perfection. Walking is about a change in direction, a transformative process. Down in verse 15 of chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So he says specifically, this is about not walking in a certain way. This is about loving certain things. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. Because whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it leads us to say, if we're going to continue loving things we used to love, living the way we used to live, then we begin to say, well, is this process even going on? Have I really been saved? Do I really have the love of the Father in me? And those are the questions John wants us to ask. What do our love show? But 
as anyone who has ever tried to woo someone knows, falling in love is not a one-time event. It's a process. Gradually, over time, emotions change, hearts change, and love grows. And so when he says, don't love the world or the things in the world, that's not a stop it one time. It is instead, we grow to love other things. We grow to have the love of the Father in us so that we love new things. So what I'm getting at is, that's a process, that's an ongoing thing that salvation begins, but certainly does not end at the point where we accept Jesus for the first time. Look in chapter 3 with me, 1 John 3 and verse 3, where he describes how we're we're going to see him as he is. In verse 3 he says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So now our lives are purified to reflect his. As he is pure, we purify ourselves. That's an ongoing commitment. I keep working to make myself pure because of what he has done for me. So if we're going to grow past fear and insecurity, which is our goal in understanding this text, it's going to have to begin here where we just say, yes, salvation is bigger than what happened one time a long time ago. It was not just a change of allegiance. It certainly is that, but it's not just a change of allegiance. It is a new starting point or a rebirth, a 180. And it seems to me that if we feel like what happened when we were baptized is just sort of an insurance policy, what happened when we were baptized is just a transaction. You know, I I was worried, I felt bad, I did the thing, and now I know everything's set. If that's all that is to us, no wonder we start to feel insecure and afraid because we're not really continuing to grow and be transformed the way God intends for us to be. But if we see that moment as just the beginning of a whole new process, then we begin to think about not not just that, but where are we now in relation to where we were? And are we involved in this transformation process God is trying to work? Now, the second thing I want you to see is that the transformation we're talking about involves obedience and love. And the way John describes this is really relevant for the text that eventually, I promise, we will get to, uh, the text that we, we started with, about perfect love casting out fear. But the way John expresses this is to start with God's love. God's unprompted love, where he just reaches out and cares for us and saves us from his own free will. And as that love hits receptive human hearts, it opens them up to a new powerful way of life. And he describes that as God's love being perfected. So God's love is already good and perfect on its own, but when it touches us and we begin to live a new kind of life, the love reaches its intended goal. It becomes perfect in us. I want to show you that. Look in chapter 2 with me. 1 John 2 and verse 3. 1 John 2 and verse 3, it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, look at it, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So he says the, the, the point here, I put the transformation involves obedience and love. The point here is about obedience. That if we love him and if we received his love, we keep his commands. And whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. 
But, verse 5, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. When we have that transformation, that new way of living, that new submission to God, that we reform our character, we begin to reform our relationships, we think differently, we are obedient to God. In that way, God's love is perfected. His goal in reaching out to us in Jesus was not just to say, okay, now I've got a people who were baptized. His goal was to make his love perfect by creating new people out of the old ones, making new hearts that now are committed to obedience to him. So when we obey, God's love becomes perfect. Look in chapter 3 with me, 1 John 3 and verse 6. It says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the idea here is we can tell how this transformation is going by looking at obedience, and also he throws love in at the end there, although we'll talk more about love here in a second. He says, look at your life and look at the pattern of your life, and you'll see where the transformation is or is not taking place. And specifically, he is talking about making a practice. That's the way my version renders it. Uh, Yours might just have whoever is born of God cannot sin, or whoever has God's seed in him, he cannot sin. Uh, My version says uh, practice sin or keep on sinning because it's it's a verb tense that uses sort of an implication of continual action. But the point is patterns of obedience reveal how the transformation is going. So when we look at our lives and we say, well, am I actually obeying God? Then that question becomes vital because if we are not continuing to obey God, then we're of the devil, according to this text. If God's seed is in us and we're abiding in him, it's going to play out in obedience. And this this is a transformation from where we used to be. But now we have to ask the question, what does it look like today for me to obey? And we're going to ask that question in a pointed way in just a minute. So obedience is part of the transformation. The other part is love. I want you to go with me to chapter 4 now. We're going to inch a little closer to our text. In chapter 4 and verse 7... John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So if we know God, this means we're going to be a loving kind of person, because love is the primary message of the gospel. In fact, it's not only the primary message of the gospel, God loves you, and he sent his son for you, it's also the primary response to the gospel as Jesus would boil down the commandments to two, love God and love your neighbor. So in the same way, obedience is loving God. And then there is this other part that says love your neighbor. And he says in verse 7, let us love one another. So love then becomes another barometer of whether or not we are actually in this transformation process. Are we growing in love? If we know the God who is love, we love. That's the way that works. And if we look at our lives and we say, 
you know what, I don't really show love to anyone, maybe just those who love me, then we have to ask the question, what's going on with this transformative process we're supposed to be in? How Do I really know a God who is so loving if I'm nothing like him? How could it be that we're in a relationship if I'm not changing? Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there are two primary things here to know about God's love. The first is in verse 9. It's the idea that God's love has been demonstrated. That is, in this is love, that he was made manifest among us by God sending his son. So this is important to know because sometimes we get deceived into thinking that love is a feeling strictly. And as long as I feel a certain way, you know, I don't have any hatred in my heart towards you because I'm... I'm loving. And so we think very often that we have no growth to do in terms of love. That we just say, you know, as long as I'm generally polite to people, especially, you know, like the people at Chick-fil-A who are always nice, it's really easy to be nice to them, okay? As long as I'm nice to people and I generally like them, I'm already loving. And that's not at all what's happening here. This is a sacrificial act that says, I care enough about you that I'm willing to lay something down for you. That's what God did for us. That's what love is. So when we talk about growing in love, that's what we mean. Growing to love like God love, love is demonstrated. The other thing about God's love here in verse 10 is that it is proactive. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love goes out of its way. It does not wait on us. It seeks out those who don't love him. And it says, I'm going to go get them and sacrifice for them even though they don't deserve it. In fact, in spite of the fact that they don't deserve it. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, this is an awesome verse. Because verse 12 talks about no one has seen God. That, that old fact of the Old Testament that says, you know, no human sees God and lives. And I know you've got some, some weird stories about Moses and some things about that. But it's still a principle that everybody knows. You're not going to see the face of God. No one has ever seen God. But, verse 12, if we love one another, implication is they do see God. God's love is perfected in us. Because just like when we, our hearts are changed so that we now obey, our hearts now are changed so that we become a loving people where we were not before. We are transformed, not just because we say, oh, good, I'm loved. But, oh, good, I'm loved now. I'm going to love you like I've been loved in that proactive and self-sacrificial way. So that's what John means when he says love is perfected. And that's vital for our text, how perfect love casts out fear. Because perfected love is love that has completed or is at least in the process of this transformation that God has begun by sending his son. So we become different people. We become obedient people where we were rebellious before and we become loving people where we were hateful before. And that transformation is part of what salvation is. We love God and we love our neighbor. So the third thing I want us to see here is that this transformation gives us confidence. This is where we began. John wants us to have confidence for the day of judgment. As we see God's transformative work in us and we see obedience and love, now we begin to grow more confident. Now, please don't misunderstand me. That does not mean we're confident in ourselves. Boy, I sure am awesome. I know God would never condemn somebody like me. I'm so great. 
It is instead confidence in the fact that God is doing a work in me that indicates he has favor for me, that we're on the right page, that we're in a right relationship. And that's the confidence John talks about. I want to show you a few places where this comes up. Look at chapter 2 with me and verse 28. Don't worry, I promise we're going to get to our text. Chapter 2 and verse 28. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So when he appears... We have confidence and not shrink back in shame. If we abide in him, the work he is doing in us is ongoing. How do we know? Verse 29. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. If I'm obeying, I'm confident because there's a transformation involving obedience and love that is going on in me, that God is working a work in me, and that work gives me confidence. Turn the page to chapter 3 and verse 19. Chapter 3 and verse 19. Confidence is again the topic here. 319, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has comm- just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So he says, let's talk about confidence. And he mentions the fact that sometimes our heart condemns us. That's in verse 20. But he says, when your heart condemns you, you know, when you look at your life and you say, there's no way. If Jesus were to come back, I would shrink from him in shame. Don't you feel that way sometimes? I'm embarrassed by what I've done. I'm embarrassed by the time I've been given and the way I've responded to the gifts he's given me. There's no way. Sometimes your heart condemns you. But he says in verse 20, when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. You know, God's not subject to your feelings. God doesn't say, well, you know, Jacob doesn't feel very good about this, so I guess I'll just forget it. God's greater than our hearts, he says, and he knows everything. So God can handle the fact that you might feel insecure, and he could save you in spite of that. Then, verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, we have great confidence before God. Why? Why? Because, verse 22, we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Because we love, because we obey. So again, he is saying the transformation that's going on, an obedience and love transformation, produces confidence in us. Well, good news. We're ready for our text. Let's go to chapter 4 and verse 16. Now we are ready because we have laid the groundwork here. 4.16, chapter 4 and verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. So love is perfected in us, you say, see in verse 17, when we love, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because again, remember his mindset, God's love begins the process, but that love is only perfected when we show love. That's only when God's love has hit its target. Not just when we are baptized, but when we are transformed to be like him. 
Obedient like Jesus was obedient. Loving like Jesus was loving. We become little, many Jesuses. And as we see that process where we're growing from Jacob toward Jesus, and we see now I'm a little more loving and a little more obedient, there is confidence that that produces. Not confidence in myself, oh, I'm so good. Confidence to say, God's at work in me. I know God has favor for me because of this. And that confidence is the opposite of fear. That's what he says in verse 18. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. And when you see perfect here, we're talking about love that has been perfected. That's what we've read about it several times already in 1 John. Perfected love. So, again... Perfected love is how God began with love for us, sends his love and that message into our hearts. Our hearts respond with obedience and love for other people. And so that love then is perfected. When love is perfected, he says, when we love God and love neighbor, fear is cast out. Perfect love casts out fear. Take a minute with that. He says in verse 18, fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So take a minute with that. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with threats. Loving relationships don't rely on threats. They don't rely on fear. Now it may be that there is a growth process. I think particularly of my children. When you have children and they're very young, you don't You don't just say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Sometimes they need to be afraid of consequences. Sometimes they need to be taught. And fear is a great teacher and a great motivator. But is that the pattern that we want in our relationships for our children forever? There is hope that we grow out of fear as a paradigm for motivation. There is hope that eventually we'll reach a point where we say, I want you to do what's right because it's right. And I want you to obey me because you know me and love me and you trust me. Not because you're afraid. Not because I have to punish you if you don't. And so in that way, I think we know that process of fear moving toward love. Love growing to the point that fear is no longer the dominant thought. And John is saying that's the way our relationship with God should work. I understand. I think this was also true in the New Testament era. Very often our relationship with God may begin because of fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of the day of judgment. We're afraid of our sin. In fact, what we really see and part of the message of the gospel is that I'm a sinner and God is holy. And so his holiness means I cannot be with God. His righteousness means my sin must be punished. I'm in trouble. That produces fear. And that fear can be very motivating. I think most of us understand that and probably have lived in that position. Maybe we came to Christ just because we were afraid. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's a very real thing. But what John is saying here is that may not be where we should stay. That we're constantly afraid. And that at every turn... We say, oh no, I hope Jesus doesn't come back today. 
Oh no, I'm not ready. I'm not sure. But as that transformation continues in us and we see that we really are walking in the light and we really are growing in obedience and love, that suddenly that fear is no longer appropriate. Because that relationship that we have with God is not just threats. It's not just about, I'm going to do this to you unless you straighten up. It is instead motivated by perfected love. And so he says, that's not the basis of our relationship anymore. We have nothing to fear. Fear means that we haven't grown to appreciate the work God is doing in us. Fear means we need to renew our focus. I want to give you four questions, and the lesson will be yours. Things to think about and how you might apply this and chew on your own relationship with God. The first is this. How far have you come since you started? I don't just mean, have you gotten older and kind of chilled out a little bit? I mean, do you see growth? Specific areas of growth. Where there were things you used to do that you don't do anymore. Struggles you used to have that you don't have anymore. You may have come upon new struggles, we all do. And you may have grown into different problems. That's understandable. But how far have you come? Can you look at that and say, you know what? I am not the same person that I used to be. And that that growth has been generally in the direction of the character of Jesus. More specifically, what does your obedience look like? If somebody were to ask you, what do you do that is obedience to Jesus? How in, in what sense do you walk like he walked? And I am suggesting, as I ask that question, that that might be more than just I go to church. What is it that says I am now a different person because I'm trying to follow God's will? Where, where is the difference? What can you say your obedience looks like on a daily basis? Now, if, if there's nothing we know to say to that, then no wonder we're going to struggle to have confidence because our obedience is not really a part of daily living. What does your love look like? How do you love other people? More than a feeling and also more proactive. And then finally, what is God working on in you right now? If we believe salvation is a transform transformative process, then that means we are being transformed right now, today. So, what's being transformed in you? What's moving in you? In what are you being challenged right now? Where are your struggles at the moment? What is this week teaching you? What is God after in your heart? And if you can see, okay, I'm going to respond to that with growth and with an attempt to change, to be more in God's will, then more and more we grow into perfect love that will cast out fear. I hope you'll chew on these questions. I hope you'll chew on this passage. I'm out of time. Thank you so much for your attention this morning. We'll be dismissed for our classes.